So imagine you wake up one morning in a house that you don't recognize. You don't know where you are. And as you look out the window, you realize that you must be in some like entirely different country. And you don't know how you got here. Uh, you can't read any of the language on any of the street signs and the way that everybody's dressed and the language they're speaking, just everything is completely foreign to you. And uh, you eventually work up the courage to venture outside, but you don't understand a word that anybody's saying and nobody's seeking you out or offering you any help, even though you look really desperate and really lost and confused. And so then you have a thought, uh, you go, I'm, you know what, I'm going to look for a church. Uh, maybe there'll be some people there uh, who worship Jesus that, that I can find some help from some of my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so you start asking people on the street uh, for a church and people are confused. Church, what, what, what is church? What are you, what are you talking about? And, and you're completely disoriented. Uh, nobody's heard of church, Jesus. You make a sign of a cross. You just pantomime everything. Nobody has no idea what you're talking about. Anything that you could possibly use to relate as a Jesus follower to say, I'm looking for this. Nobody knows what you're talking about. And so you're completely disoriented because everything that you once knew and relied upon and found familiar, it just is gone from your world. And in a lot of ways, this is what it feels like to be a Jesus follower in Oakland in 2019. There, um, there's an older generation that remembers a time when they shared maybe some similar worldviews and beliefs with their neighbors. Maybe not completely, but there were some shared beliefs and, and, uh, and values there. Uh, but now uh, Christians are a minority community and the social structures that used to validate the Christian way of life, the, those things uh, either don't, uh, don't exist anymore or we're seeing more and more that those things are disappearing. And that can be a really disorienting experience. And um, there's other places in, you know, there's other places in the United States, there's even other places in the Bay Area or of California that you could be to surround yourself with maybe more folks who would understand you or agree with you. You, you really feel it a lot more uh, here in Oakland, a, a lot more alone, a lot more isolated, a lot more not understood. And uh, in a lot of ways, what we're feeling here, the rest of the Bay Area, the rest of California, the rest of the nation will experience eventually, but we're kind of at ground zero of, of experiencing that. Um, I, I remember uh, years ago working at Starbucks on a large uh, college campus, and uh, that, that guy is way cooler and has way cooler hair than me. Uh, so that, that wasn't me uh, back then. That's some other cool guy. But um, working at Starbucks on a large college campus, and, and they also don't let you dress that cool either at Starbucks. Uh, that's, that's another thing. A lot of khaki, not, not feeling that. So, um, but anyway, uh, the, at the, at, it was on a college campus that this Starbucks was. And so the standard getting to know you question with coworkers and new customers is, you know, what are you studying? And that was just always, you know, what's your name? What are you studying? And if I had answered biology or business or political science, we would have had some stuff to talk about. But when I answered that I was doing Christian theological studies, I, I might as well have said that I was a Martian. Um, most mo, people, I don't know if you had this experience, like on a plane or meeting somebody new. If, if you mention that you're a Christian, a lot of people don't have a follow-up question. They're just... Okay, and, and if you say pastor, I'm telling you it's even worse. They have no idea what to do with you after that. And it's not like people were hostile. They just couldn't relate, and, and they, couldn't, they didn't have any follow-up questions for me, and it was awkward for them. They're just like, okay, so you're a Martian. You, do you like the color red? 
like they just don't know like how to how to connect and it was awkward it was disorienting and um my guess is different ones of us have had different experiences like that maybe with family members for a get together or a, a job or a new friend group um it can be a lonely experience right to feel like not only do you not know how to talk to me i don't know if i'm ever going to be able to connect with you and then you're suspicious of me or um uh, my um, uh, Sarah just had a, a weird experience this week with one of our neighbors who came to the Project Peace Day of Service. She wanted to give back at, at, at a local school, so that was that was cool for her. But then she shared kind of a backhanded compliment where she was telling Sarah like, "Yeah, you know, I I I, I I'm just gonna trust and assume that you guys are good people. I don't want to judge anybody based on their." religious beliefs or background, but I'm just going to assume you guys are good people and like not go to your church website or whatever and learn anything about you. I'm just going to assume you're good people. And you're just like, okay, <laughs> thanks, I think. Uh, cool, great. So and that's our neighbor and we'll have more awkward conversations, I'm sure, in the future. But, um, but this, is, this is also the experience of, of immigrant students here at Oakland International High School. Um, many of them come from a place they're just they're experiencing a lot of disorientation right now a lot they come from a place of chaos or trauma whatever country they're coming from and now they're new to the united states and they have so much catch up to do not just with english but learning to be a high school student in the united states and i just think it's absolutely brilliant on god's part that that's where he had us land uh for where we're going to gather uh, for church because i think there's a lot of ways that this school and the students and the staff could speak to the kind of church community that we need to become and the kind of christ followers we need to become if we're going to be faithful to jesus as a minority community in a larger community uh where things uh as far as what's held up and, and believed uh by the larger culture we're the minority and we're an outsider we're in exile um and so i think the best way for us to learn from them is just to get to know their story uh, to ask them, you know, where they came from, what are, they, what are they learning right now, what are they figuring out about life in the United States. And so I just want to put it out there uh, to all of us. Um, this year, how can we get to know some stories of some students and some families here at this school? And, and I'm not going to suggest anything because you, the usual track record is what you guys come up with is way better than what I would come up with. So... Um, when it comes to God's story and the story of God's people, um, the conditions that you and I find ourselves in are the exact same conditions that most people in scriptures found themselves in. We, we went through the big moments of scripture, you know, creation and fall, the story of Israel, Jesus, the king. Uh, and we, we just very, very quickly touched on um, this time when, when God's people were in exile because we needed to come back and actually just spend a lot more time here because of all those different moments in, in, in the larger story of scripture, this is the time that relates the most to our time. And the best way to describe our reality is exile. Um, so what does it mean to be in exile? It's, it's the experience of those who've lost the familiar structures that gave them their identity and their sense of place and ways to practice their faith. It's, it's people who've experienced loss. Once upon, a time, once upon a time in America, um, the average American was somewhat familiar with the biblical faith in Jesus. Even if they didn't hold to it themselves, they were familiar. And lots of people held to values that today we would maybe categorize as traditional. Um, back then, people who were Christians, they fit well into larger society. Pastors were respected. Church attendance was greater. 
Um, debates that took place in the public square also took into consideration what the scriptures might have to say on the matter, how God would feel uh, about this. That day has long since passed. Would you agree? Yeah. Uh, so now, now the Christian ethic has been replaced with kind of a generic spirituality where we kind of just piece things together. I, I like this part. I like this part. And we kind of form our own spirituality. And and the only demands of this spirituality is be nice to other people and make space for them to come up with their own spirituality. And for Christians, Jesus' claim to be the only way to the Father, that doesn't come off as good news to people anymore. That sounds really oppressive. That sounds really arrogant. And so you feel like you have to tiptoe around this kind of stuff. And some Christians would look at our current circumstances as a crisis. Their experience as an exile says to them, Christianity is dying in the U.S., and this is an emergency. This is a crisis. we got to do something. And so for some people, the approach that they take is to try to regain a place of power in society, to, to shape society by how we vote or who we get into office, things like that. Like, we've, we've lost our power. Let's get that back. That's the, 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 the route that some people take. And so I'm not surprised when on the news the last seen impression of Christians is that they're more of a political party than a, a movement of people, of believers who are committed to bringing good news. Um, we're not usually seen that way. We're seen as a, a political party and, um, and usually a problem uh, by how we want to drive things. And now maybe you would even go, that, that group doesn't represent me, but I'm getting lumped in with this larger group by how they, they're just louder than me, but nobody takes the time and, uh, and you can feel embarrassed. Um, for other Christians, their experience of exile is that their friends, their coworkers, their family treats them like a Martian and, and they don't know quite what to do with you. And, and, and for these Christians, it's a struggle because the faith that you were handed, um, ha you find has left you totally unprepared for reality. Um, Christian faith for you was modeled as this private experience. You, you read the Bible, you pray by yourself and it's just you and God. And outside of like a Sunday worship gathering like this, maybe there's a Bible study that you're a part of or a service project to do from time to time. But other than that, like what happens on Sunday doesn't, you know, seem to touch what happens on Monday. And, and, and the message that you, you receive is that God, you know, God's really ticked off about premarital sex and how much alcohol you consume. So as long as I steer clear of those things, I'll keep God off my back. And I don't really know what else God cares about, but those are big ones apparently, because that's, that's what my pastors or youth pastors keep telling me. And, and you're not really sure what you're supposed to do. You know what you're not supposed to do, but you're like, what, what am I, what's a Christian, like, what are we for? What, what do we do around here? And the Christian life gets boiled down to be nice, don't bother anybody, don't take your faith too seriously or cause a scene, but just like, you know, somewhere in the middle. And the problem for, 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 the, for the Christians like this is there's very little about their lives that they feel like sets them apart in any way from society at large. And, and also just this unspoken thing of like, I don't know that our Sunday gatherings have anything to do with my reality on Monday. And does anybody else feel that? And is that a problem? But you don't feel like you can say that. And so they're wondering, do I need to just jettison anything about my Christian faith that doesn't make sense to other people? And maybe I just keep the parts that our culture values and accepts and understands. The problem with that is if we only keep what our culture accepts, then 
what, what's left of what it means to follow Jesus? Like, do I have left anything that's going to offer life and hope for the world? Is there anything that looks like Jesus? Is there any point to this? And so all of this could lead um, Christians to see our current moment as a crisis. Um, and, but it is, it's, it's my deep belief that God actually doesn't want us to see this moment as a crisis. That God wants us to see this moment as a great opportunity for, the, for, for what he wants to do in the world. Here's, here's what's true. No matter what kind of tension you're feeling when you think about life at work or with your family or in any, any of those places where you feel tension, here's what's true. God has chosen this time and this place for me and you to live out faith and faithfulness. God knows exactly what he's doing. Where and when you live, that is not an accident. That is very much on purpose. And as we look back on the story so far of God and God's people, the conditions that you and I find ourselves in right now are the exact same conditions that most people in Scripture found themselves in. Most people in Scripture, in, in their story, they were not in the place of great power or influence or people looking up to them and everybody agreeing with them. And most of the time, they were the outsider. Well, you just start off right at the beginning. Adam and Eve, they find themselves in exile after they were removed from Eden. Uh, that, was, that was exile. Abram and Sarai found themselves constantly on the move, constantly as foreigners and wanderers without a familiar home. Uh, Joseph, uh, their great-great-grandson, Grandson? Anyway, he, he was separated from his family and his home. He, he started off as a slave in Egypt, totally obscure, totally marginalized and oppressed. Moses and the Israelites, they wandered for decades without a permanent home. And then there's Esther, Daniel, Nehemiah, who found themselves they, not, just, not just far from home, but conquered. They were a conquered people. And so in a lot of ways, that just, that just beats down any kind of self-esteem or ego or national pride or anything that you had. We're conquered people, and we're far from home, in exile, in a foreign land where everybody else sees us as lesser than because my God clearly beat up your God. Uh, that's why we won, and that's why you're conquered. And then even Jesus was in exile, and we'll, we'll talk about that soon. But for the first 300 years of the church's life, the first Christians lived as exiles. That's how the disciple uh, Peter addresses the Christians in his uh, first letter that's in our Bibles. In 1 Peter, he describes them as exiles who are scattered abroad. That's how he addresses them. And here's what he had to say to these exiles. Um, read along with me wherever you see a bold text. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the nations that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So foreigners and exiles. You and I can take comfort in, in the reality that for most of the biblical story, God's people were in the same situation that you and I find ourselves in, where you're the minority, where you're the foreigner, where you're the exile, where you're the outsider. Their faith and our faith 
it's in this place where you, you, your faith has nowhere to rest its head in, in the larger culture. You're not really sure where to, to, to place this. Your way of practicing your faith in Jesus seems peculiar or even suspicious to other people. They kind of wonder about you when they find out that you're a Christian. But despite the marginalized position within society, the, the, the encouragement to God's people, to you and I now and in the past, has always been, remember that God called you to be His. Remember that God chose you to represent Him. And even though you're marginalized and misunderstood, you can trust and obey God in this time and in this place. And you're a citizen of an eternal kingdom. And so as we, uh, as we connect our stories to this larger story of what God's up to, what can happen is we can start to see this moment not as a crisis, but as a really great opportunity for God to do some amazing things in and through our lives. Things that, we weren't, that weren't even on our radar because we just felt defeated and misunderstood. But there's so much opportunity for you and I here. If we can see our stories through this lens of exile, for one thing we know, I'm not alone. I'm not the first person to go through this. We've got all these examples of people who've gone before us, and they have navigated this tension, and they found really fresh and creative ways to, to practice faith and faithfulness in their exile. And we can learn from their moment and, it let, and let it speak to our moment. And um, there's a book that I highly, highly, highly recommend uh, to all of you. It's, it's called Faith for This Moment by Pastor Rick McKinley. He's a pastor up in Portland, and uh, he's, I just, yeah, I just, I just love how he's navigated how to guide his church uh, through this cultural moment right here. Uh, and it's, it's a really great way to put it. Navigating a polarized world as the people of God. It's such a good book. But he, he, he says there's at least three ways that Christians have responded to their culture and the moment that they found themselves in. And the three responses are baptize, burn, or bless. Want to say that with me? Baptize, burn, or bless. So one temptation is to baptize our culture and just say, it's all good. It's all good. It's all great. And this is always a, a great temptation for God's people whenever they found themselves in a moment like ours. Um, our, our larger culture uh, doesn't uh, use hard power. Uh, there's, a, there's, there's something called hard power and something else called soft power. And hard power looks like holding your gun to some, a gun to somebody's head and demanding that they live by your values. Or it looks like you'll be fired if you don't do this. Or there's some kind of threat held over you where you feel forced or coerced. That's hard power. But um, our, our larger culture doesn't use hard power. It uses um, soft power. And soft power is it's sexy, it's, it's, it's alluring, it, it draws you in, it goes to work on you gently, um, corroding your thinking about different things until eventually you've just baptized every value of our culture and issues on the table like Jesus being the only way to the Father or remaining sexually chaste until marriage or how we spend our money or how we consume entertainment and technology. Uh, how our identities get shaped by social media, and so many areas and challenges of modern life, you think less and less like a Christian and more and more just whatever the larger culture says. You, there's no distinction between how you think and respond to how anybody else in your, in your world would think or respond to these kinds of things. And we baptize it and we say, it's all good because we've, we've just over time been deeply shaped by the power of soft power. In our culture and just little by little we've given way to different cultural messages that have eaten away at our values and, and to the point where we just say oh it's all good but here's the thing that's encouraging soft power is nothing new for god's people 
the, the forces at work behind power and money and pleasure and success have always been at work to lure God's people away from faithfulness to Jesus. But what's important for us to know is you and I, we can't be passive in our, in our following Jesus, in our pursuit of Jesus and in, and in his way. Uh, we can't be passive because if you're just standing still and in a neutral position, you'll, just, you'll find yourself sliding further and further away from the way of Jesus. And so suddenly these, these, these words from the disciple Paul take on a lot of potency and power where he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. Well, actually, uh, read the parts in bold with me if you would. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and his pleasing and his perfect will. Paul speaks about what we do with our bodies and what we do with our minds because that's where soft power goes to work on us. It's, it's also can be where we actively follow Jesus. We have a choice in that matter to let our bodies and minds uh, be shaped by soft power or to be shaped by uh, Jesus and his way in the world. And if we're going to be faithful to God in exile, we've got to regularly bring our minds to Jesus, regularly bring our thinking before him and go, God, I know I'm, I'm thinking this way on, on, on this matter, but like, what do you say? Does this square with your heart and desires for what you want to do in the world? Or am I just kind of, am I just going with what everybody else is, 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 uh, is pressuring me to do? God, I, I need to regularly bring my body before Jesus and go, God, the, the, what I do with what I let into my ears and my eyes, what I let into my mouth, what, am I, what I'm doing with my body, God, the practices and habits of my life, are they born out of faith in you? Am I doing things that actually set me apart and make me distinct from people around me so that they even, is there anything about me that, that, that reflects you and your life and your character? So, Temptation one is baptize, uh, but then there's temptation two is to burn. Um, it's, it's, it's human nature for us to place blame outside of ourselves. And that's, that's the heart behind the, the burn temptation to say, well, I, I'm not the problem. It's, it's those people. It's society. It's all these different things. And followers of Jesus need to be really careful here because um, throwing the blame has been the temptation ever since the beginning, ever since the fall. I even just love... <laughs> I don't love that Adam and Eve are white, um, but, uh, but I, do, I just, I couldn't find a better posture than Adam's right here to be like, it's not my fault. God, look at the, the woman you gave me. I feel like he might be Italian or something too, even just his gestures and stuff. Uh, but but it's, it was the gut response of Adam and Eve when they got called out to point blame away from themselves and go, I'm not the problem. It's, it's them. And it's easy for Christians to give into this temptation and blame those people in the surrounding culture for, for their choices and, what, and the things that they've set up. It's, it's easy for us to also to believe, I can end this exile. I can wrap up this tension that I feel in my life if, I just, if, we, if just Christians could just band together and we just get new laws and new legislation in place, that's going to fix it. That's also a temptation because we think the problem is, is out there and if we just get enough things set up, that'll fix it and that'll, that'll wrap up this tension that I feel. And it's, it's also easy to say, it's also easy to say, it's all going to burn. So I'm just going to close myself off from the larger culture. And the temptation is to insulate ourselves from, a, and we just hang out in a Christian ghetto where we only hang out with other Christians 
And our approach to church, our approach towards outsiders is, is a place of, of judgment where people just feel crappy all the time uh, in our presence. And they, uh, they never feel like they can measure up. And our, our approach even to relating to church and inviting people to be part of the community of God, we ha- instead of going out to them, we have an approach of, no, you come to me. Uh, I, I can't actually associate with you because you'll make me dirty with, with your music and what comes out of your mouth and who you spend time with. I can't be associated with you, but my pagan friend, when, you, uh, get, when you're ready, you can come to church and get saved and then I'll be with you. So instead of me coming to you, it's you come to me, but only when you're ready and only when you're clean. It's, it's really easy for us to live according to a list of Christian do's and don'ts. Don't be with those people. Don't listen to that music. Don't watch that media. Don't be in those environments. Lists are really easy because there's no tension in your life. That, uh, there's no tension that puts you in a place of radical trust and dependence on the Holy Spirit because if you don't live by a list, if you live by trust in the Holy Spirit, you're going to find yourself in places where there's some gray area, where you're like, I'm not actually sure how to handle this conversation. I'm not actually sure how a Christ follower would respond in this moment. Holy Spirit, in that moment, you're crying out, I need wisdom. I need direction. God, I don't, I'm not actually sure what to do here. But if you live according to a list, there's no tension because you've got your do and don't list. When you have a list, who needs the Holy Spirit? Lists don't require that we ask for grace or wisdom to navigate the gray areas of life. And for list people, there is no gray area. It's all black and white. You're either in or out. You're a saint or you're a sinner. You're holy or you're dirty. And that's it. It's simple. The, the trouble with lists is that they don't make you more like Jesus. They make you more like a Pharisee. And Jesus had some really strong words for the list people of his day. This is what he had to say to Pharisees. He said, you guys study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So if you feel prone to being that list person, uh, I do. Uh, if, I, I, that, is, that is more my approach, honestly. If, if, if that's you, let's hear this warning from Jesus who loves us. Jesus is saying you can know a whole lot of Bible verses, you can know the Bible back and forward, and you could keep your hands cleaner than clean, and you could completely miss the God of life when he's standing right in front of you. And and just hang with that till that freaks you out, till that thought freaks you out. And then you're in a place to go, okay, God, set me free from lists and actually put me in a place where I'm in dependence on you and looking to you. So baptize and burn but now bless. Um, If we're going to be the people of God, living by faith and faithfulness in this moment, but our options aren't baptize our culture, but also don't burn it down, what what alternative do we have? And for God's people in exile in in Babylon, this was was God's word to them. Jeremiah 29, verse 4 through 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says to all those I carried into exile. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Don't decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So this was God's word to God's people in exile. He was like, guys, you're not getting out of the situation anytime soon. 
This is where I have you. I carried you here. This is your situation. And this is how I want you to live in this time. Not baptizing the larger culture, but not also not burning it. But you're going you're gonna to make a way of life here. Have kids, settle down, put down roots, connect here. Um, I also, I just love that he specifically says increase in number. Like don't, there's, there's a temptation to go, man, this, this world's really screwed up. I don't want to bring kids into this world. And God's like, no, have lots of kids. Uh, don't, don't, don't slow that down um, just because of your, of your circumstances. Um, but yeah, seek its peace and prosperity. There's so much wisdom here uh, for, for our situation. Uh, for one thing, God says, I carried you into exile. And this, this reminds me that God knows exactly where you and I are right, right here and now in our situations. Um, did anybody grow up with those Where's Waldo books? Yes? Okay. Um, these things were so much fun because there was like so much chaos on every single page and you're in a different you know, time and place in, in world history and, and they're, they're just, they're well illustrated and silly and fun. But they were also, could be a really stressful experience because you know, after about five to eight seconds on that page, if you haven't found Waldo yet, because the book is called Where's Waldo? And, and then you're like, yeah, I, don't, I, really, don't, I really don't know where Waldo is. Um, Waldo is this uh, nerdy guy with a red and white striped sweater and this uh, goofy like snow hat kind of thing and jeans and he's just in glasses and he's always in the background and then there's he's got a couple friends like Wanda and some other folks. Teddy, do you see him? Yes. So uh, well done, buddy. Where's Waldo? He's kind of up here to the top middle. uh, Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Just like you see the stack of lions and he's just like a little bit close close to them. But um, these, these things can be fun, but then such a stressful experience until you find Waldo, but then you find Waldo and sweet relief. And then you turn to another page for another stressful experience. But, but, but this, is, this is you and me. God, God knows exactly where we are. Um, in, in, a, in a situation that could feel chaotic and crazy and so much out of control, he's like, I see you. I see exactly where you're at with your job, your family, your relationships, your circumstances. God is not thrown off by your situation. And he has us in the time and the place that he does on purpose. So let's embrace our reality. God, this is, this is where I am. So what do you want to do in this time and place? Now, maybe that means for some of us that we need to grieve. Maybe for some of us, it's really hard to face the fact that the, the country or the city or the family system that we knew years ago, things have changed. And, and we now feel strange or rejected by the people in our lives. And maybe you need to take some time to just grieve and just go, you know what, this is hard. This is really hard. I feel alone. I don't know what to do yet. And this is a weird in-between place to be. Take some time to grieve because grieving can make room for God to lead you into something new. But, but first you have to grieve what you've lost. And then there's space for that. God will meet you in that time. But then God says, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, make a life here. Um, the Oakland A's have a slogan uh, rooted in Oakland. And, and I think that's actually a great motto for Jesus followers in Oakland. Because um, it, would, it would be easier to move to another place where there's a larger population of Christians, or at least on the outside, it seems like more people agree with your values. But when Jesus preached his famous Sermon on the Mount, he told us, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And, and the thing about salt and light is these are minority elements. You don't need a, a whole lot of salt to affect the flavor. You don't need a whole lot of light to push back the darkness. Just a little bit and its presence is felt. And salt doesn't belong in the salt shaker. 
It's meant to be poured out, and matches don't belong in the matchbox. Jesus would say, don't hide it under a, a, a bushel, but we, you, know, you and I don't have a lot of bushels uh, in our lives, as far as I know. Uh, we're not Amish, but, uh, but yeah. Salt doesn't belong in the salt shaker, and matches don't belong in the matchbox. They're meant to be out there bringing flavor and light, and that's us too. We are not meant to lose our distinction and the effect that we bring when we show up in an environment. And we're not meant to close ourselves off and hide and just do what feels safe and comfortable. We bring flavor and light. And then in Jeremiah, we're being called to put down roots. Be here. God, God's been speaking to me about this when it comes to our backyard. Uh, we, we manage an apartment complex. So in one sense, that feels kind of temporary because you're like, I rent this thing. It's not like mine forever. Um, so there's that mindset I've got to deal with. But, but when it comes to our little backyard that we were given, um, it's a humble little backyard, but I've, I've done nothing with it. Sarah's, Sarah's done some things. I've done, I've done nothing with it. Like I'll, I'll pull some weeds from time to time, but I haven't done anything to like make it a livable space that like I'd be proud to invite people into. And, and I'm wondering personally if there's anything God wants to do to my sense of rootedness and place if I started to like create a back deck or plant some plants or just make a space where I would want to invite friends and neighbors to be, to be there with me. And, and until I do that, I'm kind of wondering if I only have like one foot in Oakland right now, if I'm really putting down roots here. I don't know about you. Maybe that could be a metaphor for, for you in some sense. If there's anywhere that you've got one foot out the door and you would be ready to slide into something that wouldn't require so much trust and dependence on the Holy Spirit, something where you would feel it was easier and more comfortable. But what if instead God's calling you and I to settle in and to plant a garden, literally or symbolically, and, and put down roots? But then there's, there's more to this passage. God calls us to pray for our city, to help it to flourish and to thrive. So where in Oakland do you see brokenness? Where in Oakland do things break your heart or make you angry? Where is it time for you to now volunteer your voice and your time to help a certain place or a group of people really thrive? Are we praying for our city's leadership? Are we staying on top of current events so that we can offer our voice as a citizen of this place? Or are we checked out? In, in the story of God, the people of God, they navigated their faithfulness to God in exile by finding some really distinct and creative ways to bless their culture, and now it's our turn. But here's the best part about what it means to bless our culture. Jesus himself was in exile, and he was amazing when it came to being a blessing to his culture. He did not baptize everything that was going on around him, and he didn't, he didn't go around burning everything that was going around him that he disagreed with. He was a blessing. He, he, he first of all experienced exile when he left his father's side, and he came and lived among other people who were struggling in their exile. Jesus was marginalized. He was rejected and despised by people who were supposed to have welcomed him. But he didn't fight for his heavenly rights. He didn't hide away in a cave with some private spirituality. Instead, we see him boldly loving and serving and preaching about this kingdom of another reality that he was going to be bringing for anybody else who felt cast out and excluded and marginalized. Again and again, his message was, there's, there's a place for you in this kingdom. And it was usually around tables that Jesus was inviting people into the life of God and making it clear to those people, there is a place for you in my Father's kingdom. And the Pharisees, the list people, the, the burn people, 
they had a huge problem with this because they believed that Jesus's table time with those people made him unclean. They're like, what, what is he doing? He's hanging out with sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. But here's the thing. Jesus hung out with, with, with a disreputable crowd, but he, he never compromised who he was. He never gave ground on what was true and what was really good. And yet, sinners loved him. They wanted him at their table. They wanted him at their parties. And it's because Jesus knew something that the Pharisees could never understand, which is when those people come into contact with me, they don't make me dirty. I make them holy by my presence. And I want you to know that with the Spirit of God in and working in and around and through you, the same thing is possible for you and me in other places where we feel a sense of compromise or gray areas, or should I show up at that thing? How does God want to give life to others through you? Around a table, sharing your life. It could be your own kitchen table. It could be the cafeteria at school. It could be the break room at work. Maybe some of us need to bring the table outside under a freeway overpass, extending hospitality to people who are cultural exiles, the homeless community. Uh, I love what we, we saw Jordan Carter on the, on the screen earlier. We'll see her uh, next week. But Jordan and then Jason, who's running the slides today, they're dreaming about uh, a way to, 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 to be a blessing where they want to pick one homeless community that's a short walk from here, and they want to just start really simple bring coffee, care packages, offer prayer. But they're going to, instead of just jumping around to every single place and, or just showing up once a year, they want to show up at one place and then consistently and just become a familiar face and get to know names and for people to know their names. And because uh, the, the biggest problem for, for you and I, it's, it's not that we have a compassion problem. There's a, there's a lot of heart in this room. I, there's a lot of things in here where you guys, your heart breaks for different levels of brokenness that you see around you and you, you want to respond and you want to do something about it. I don't, I don't see in this room a compassion problem, but maybe we have a proximity problem. And what I mean is it's, it's not that we don't care about the cultural exiles in our neighborhood, but it might be that we don't know them. We, we talk about the homeless or the Muslims or any other group that is outside of us, but we don't actually have a name for them. We have like the category, but, I, but if I asked you, well, what, tell me the name of a homeless person that you know. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think our problem is a compassion problem. I think our problem is a proximity problem. And so what I love is that Jordan and Jason want to give us the opportunity to not just talk about people, but to talk with them and get to know them and to learn some names and some faces and some stories. And so if you want to hear more, it's, it's just getting started. Um, Jason has to take off pretty quickly after the service, but then we'll bring it up again next week. But Jason and Jordan, talk to them. Give them your contact info. They'll let you know what's next as we're just going to kind of just start to figure this out as a group. Outsiders could experience God's grace and God's welcome, and it could happen through you. And uh, the Pharisees, though, they, they couldn't stand this kind of thing. They did not love the tension that Jesus walked. Uh, and so they put Jesus through the ultimate exile, demanding that he'd be crucified. He was crucified outside the city. And then ultimately he was exiled to the grave. But then conquering the grave, Jesus rose to proclaim his triumph over all those powers and all those authorities and all those little kingdoms that dominate our world today. 
And that was Jesus's path. And so if we're his followers, then we are called to do the same thing in our own exile. In John 17, Jesus calls us, be in the world, but not of it. Jesus did not fight the culture. Jesus also did not hide from the culture. And it's the same for you and me. Jesus didn't affirm everything in his culture, and he also didn't reject everything in his culture. And it's the same for you and me. Jesus did not fall into despair. He didn't look around and just throw his hands up and go, I'm one person, what could I possibly do? He preached this hope that was stronger than death. And as we follow Jesus into his hope, that's the hope that we carry with us into our own situations of exile. But what makes all the difference is that you and I, we carry out our exile on the other side of the cross and the empty tomb. Our exile is different. Our king has overcome the powers of sin and death that have taken us captive. And his kingdom is breaking in and he's setting people free from the kingdom of darkness. So ours is a hopeful exile where we are empowered to live faithfully to our king who has given us his spirit to live in us, to give us creativity and wisdom and strength and courage and anything that we would need for what we're facing. So on a regular basis, Christians pray the prayer that Jesus the exile taught us to pray in our own exile. And if you would, pray this with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.